This is Sporting Max with Max Becker on SEN. Welcome back, everyone, to another episode of Sporting Max at 1116 SEN. This is your Sunday morning feed. Now I'm right here sitting on Zoom with the CEO of Melbourne United in the NBL, Nick Trulson. Nick, it's great to have you on. I've been hoping for this interview for a while. How are you going? Max, when we first met each other in the preseason there at uh, MSAC, it was, uh, I know we talked a little bit about it then, and um, I said to you at the time, I was really keen to get my feet under the desk a little and, um, and learn <laughs> as much about uh, one Melbourne United, but also the league. And uh, no, it's a pleasure to be on when I look at the calibre of people you've had on. Um, sport, <laughs> really, um, not just in a basketball sense, but in every, any other sport. And, um, you know, one of the things I've loved the most is the legends box that we've had this year. And I've uh, loved seeing the amount of uh, legends we've had in the box who have also been on your show as well. So yeah. privilege to be here, young man. And, uh, yeah, look forward to the, the podcast with you. Now, Nick, I want to sort of start off talking about your childhood. And, you know, what was growing up like for you? Yeah, I actually grew up in uh, Middle Park, so not far from Albert Park. And, um, you know, I grew up in the, the late 70s and 80s in uh, in that area. And, and, of course, at that time, the great Lindsay Gaze and Margaret, his wife, um, ran the, the Albert Park Basketball Centre. And I used to go over to the stadium a lot as a kid and, um, you know, and to be part of that time and seeing, you know, Andrew and, and all of his team grow up. You know, the Melbourne Tigers, of course, were, were a fairly big part of my childhood. Um, you know, I played cricket and footy. Aussie rules was pretty much my two sports, but always playing basketball at lunchtime or, or going over to Albert Park and, um, and playing a bit through the stadium as well with my, my brother and three stepbrothers as well. So um, there wasn't much time when a, when a ball wasn't in my hand of some sort throughout the year and, um, yeah, really enjoyed the amount of sport I could play growing up in a, in a Bayside area like Middle Park. So what were your, I guess you mentioned your dominant sports being footy and um, cricket, but what was basketball like to you as a kid? Yeah, I mean, I um, my dad was born and bred in Pasadena, California, so um, got to go to LA a few times as a kid. And um, of course, the great uh, Magic Johnson was uh, the superstar for the LA Lakers at that time. So it definitely took um, you know a lot of interest um, and a lot of American sport with my dad being American, um, and basketball was a big part of that. So was always interested in the game. Um, grew up in that really. Interesting time in the 80s and early 90s, of course, with the Olympic team really doing great and, and coming forth on so many different occasions. Um, yeah, so really enjoyed that. And, and, of course, it was the boom time um, in that early 90s period when you look at uh, the full houses we were getting for NBL back in the heyday, um, mm. you know, with the Alley-Oop show with, with Andrew and Leonard, but also love, you know, the North Melbourne Giants and um, and the Magic and I think... Um, you know, the Nutterwad Inspectors was the first ever game I went to, which was a long, long time ago. So, yeah, I uh, yeah, no, definitely love my basketball. And, um, you know, I even think about now, someone like yourself who can see the scores live or watch a game live in the NBA. We were, you know, in the 80s, you were picking up the paper and seeing that MJ had scored, you know, 50 points, but it was two or three days before that. So yeah. <laughs> I think technology's changed a lot and it's, um, you know, it's exciting for us to be in the league where we are right now and, I, I sort of talk about the moment in time, um, what the Boomers have had with that uh, that great uh, rose gold medal that they've got. And, um, and of course, exciting for us to be able to bring someone like Delhi and have Chris Gordy as part of that Boomers makeup um, at Melbourne United as well. Uh, so when you were a kid, did you ever have any run-ins at Albert Park with Lindsay Gaze or Andrew Gaze? 
can't really remember if I did or not, but I definitely remember going there and I, I remember buying lots of lollies at the, at the uh, tuck yeah. shop there. At, uh, <laughs> I reckon uh, Lindsay and Margaret did everything back in the day then. They ran the tuck shop through, the, through to the games, through to the teams. Um, but, yeah, I think, uh, you know, it was really a great time when basketball started to really be on the rise in the country here. What was, uh, bu- uh, not basketball, sorry, what was school like for you? I mean, where did you study? What did you want to get into, um, you know, I guess in sort of secondary school? Yeah, I um, I was lucky enough I went to Brighton Grammar in secondary school. Um, so I played a lot of sport, you know, very sporty school as well. Um, but very much still basketball wasn't played as much at the school at the time. And it's great to see now that it is a, a real staple of um, all big schools now. Uh, basketball is a fantastic program and, you know, your good friend Chris Anstey, of course, is one of the coaches or head of development and, and uh, director of coaching at, um, at Caulfield Grammar. But, um, yeah, all my friends, of course, were sports mad at school. Um, so, again, it was just yeah, a great way to, to grow up. And um, I did marketing out of university um, at Monash University and um, ended up at Cadbury Schweppes. I did 10 years at Cadbury Schweppes out of uni, um, which gave me a great you know, learning curve and um, always wanted to get into sport and, was lucky enough then to, to get to the Essendon Football Club for four years uh, and then had an incredible 10 years at the Western Bulldogs through that incredible uh, period of time from 2011 to 2021 last year before uh, this amazing opportunity to become the CEO of Melbourne United came up. So I want to get into sort of your 10 years at Cambridge Schweppes. What was that like and what, uh, I guess, lear- learning materials did that supply you with to be able to then go into the sports world as, you know, a Chief of Commercial Officer. Yeah, no, it's a, good, it's a really good point. And I think, yeah, Cabbage Schweppes, of course, incredible amount of sport that they sponsored back in the day too. Schweppes were a huge sponsor of golf and the racing. Um, so I was very lucky during that whole 10 years we were able to go to a lot of great events. Um, Red Bull was one of our products, so being able to go to the Formula One Grand Prix, a lot out of the park. Um, so it allowed me to, to get my sporting fix a lot during work. Um, but it was probably the branding side and, you know, I learned how the power of a brand. Um, so when you have brands on the Schweppes side like Gatorade and Solo and Pepsi and Red Bull and then on the Cadbury side having, you know, mm. Cadbury chocolate and uh, Cherry Ripe and Boost and all these things that millions of people around Australia love each and every day, I was able to see the power of brands and it sort of my creativity um, really came to the fore of just learning about if you can put the brand in the hands of fans, um, you know, you can actually be a really big success with that product and probably try to use that mantra coming into sport that uh, equally, and, and as we know, fans like yourself are emotionally connected to sports teams. Yeah. And like, like a, a, a Cadbury product or a Shrimp product, the important essence is that um, sports fans are more emotionally connected than, than to a brand than anyone else. Yeah. And if you can emotionally connect and make them feel part of the in this instance, they feel part of the club. They, you, you know that you're going to have their their hearts for the rest of their lives. And, you know, at the end of the day, that's the most important part to, to do as a sports administrator. So while you were at Cadbury Schweppes, did you ever have an aim to, you know, actually get into, you know, sports um, as yeah. a whole? Or was there other different kind of aspects of sports you were looking at, um, whether it be not just sort of like fan engagement or we did you maybe want to go um, a step above that or things like that? Yeah, it's a really good point. I mean, I think I did a sports thesis going back to university in my final year. I got to do a sports thesis, which um, led me to do an international trip to um, Hong Kong, London, Paris, New York, LA, wow. uh, 
which included going into the NFL head office during Super Bowl week for a meeting as part of that. And it really fueled my desire that one day I'd love to be part of sports and, and the opportunity that it brings because, you know, sports is such a global opportunity um, that, you know, the opportunity of not just maybe even working in Australia in sport, there was, you know, could you go to the English Premier League or could you go yeah. to the NBA? Um, and, and a big part of coming out of Cabbage Schweppes into um, sports land, I was able to go and get an enormous amount of connections through all those sports overseas. And I've been lucky enough to, to also travel and, and meet with a lot of teams, especially in the US, around um, NBA and, and, uh, and other sports. So how did you happen to sort of land and find your feet at Essendon? Yeah, it was an opportunity that came up. Um, you know, I was, I was really keen after 10 years at Cabbage Schweppes of how I could get into the sports industry. And, and interesting enough, at that time, digital and fan engagement became a real um, buzzword in the States of new roles that were coming up. And um, Essendon were, you know, pretty um, innovative at the time and, um, and, and thought there was an opportunity to get someone in who had, you know, a strong commercial background but had a creative flair around how you engage with fans and, um, and how you, you know, can take things to a different level when it comes to the digital space. And I was lucky enough to get that role and, um, you know, I had three or four really good years at Essendon, um, which actually included my last year there. We got to do a, a trip to the US where we had a uh, 10-day trip, 14 meetings and nine games of live sport. Wow. Which included meeting Paddy Mills, a young Paddy Mills at that time when he was yeah. playing. Yeah. <laughs> Square Garden, we got to meet him after a game. Um, and also um, Andrew Bogut, who was a big Essendon fan, or is a big yeah. Essendon fan, um, yeah. we were able to meet him after a Boston Celtics um, versus Bucks game. So, um, yeah, there was definitely that real strong interest in the NBA. Um, and I've still got contacts from 12 years ago from the NBA that I keep in contact. And it's nice to now fast forward to be in basketball itself and, and be able to keep talking to those brands about, you know, opportunities and how we can, uh, you know, create some ideas together. So obviously when you were on that trip and things like that, the NBA was, uh, sorry, the NBL was still cut, was still rising, you know, up through the ranks in world sport, um, not just as, a, you know, clubs, but as a league in general. What did you sort of take any notice of the NBL back then? Oh, yeah, I think I always kept an eye on it. I think, um, you know, and hats off to, to Larry Kesselman and, um, and then Jeremy Loliga have done an incredible job, of course. Um, so in my 10 years at, at the Bulldogs, you know, in 2011, the NBL, you know, was, was at, in those three or four years was going through a pretty tough period. And um, at the Bulldogs, you know, was a, we were a small smaller club back then, um, had to think a bit differently and, um, you know, to then see where the club was able to be and be part of that amazing journey. In 2016, um, it also sort of coincided in 2016 when the NBL went around that time when Larry and Jeremy came in and, and really have changed the game in, in how that league is. And, um, you know, when the opportunity came up, um, you know, mid last year to apply for the role at Melbourne United, I jumped at the opportunity just because I could see the, the trajectory that the game was on and, um, and especially after what um, the Boomers were able to do just before that time as well. So what are your main sort of aim or tips and strategies to try and engage fans with, you know, a sporting club or particularly Essendon? Yeah, I think um, back in those days, I mean, Facebook really, um, Instagram, I don't think it even come about in those no, days. No. Um, so in time when um, a lot of it was still very much the, the one-to-one seeing fans at fan days and um, engaging with them at game days, but 
um, PDMs and emails really started to uh, to form around that time. And you know, we did a lot of testing around ideas that would work and, and what would you know what would work. Um, I still remember you know, David Zamarakis kicked the famous goal for Essendon in an Anzac Day game, and you know the idea came up after that game that hey, why would why don't we uh, connect with the emotional connection that that game's just given to hundreds of thousands of Essendon fans? Send them an email where they can buy the DVD um, at a special price, and I think overnight we did like twenty five thousand dollars in um, wow. stuff, which at the time was pretty revolutionary, and it sort of showed the power. Connecting a sports moment um, with your fans at the right time, yeah. and I think even today it's so important that yeah, you know, when you're sending out a message, that you choose your moment or when you do it, um, and make sure you hit that audience with the right message. And um, that's been a good mantra to work through, and um, probably a, good, a mantra that I've loved from the NBA that I got probably around 2010 was um, innovation is great, but imitation is faster. So we all want to be innovative and all want to come up with different ideas, but the great thing is in, in the digital world today, you can see an idea that the Dallas Mavericks do yesterday and bring that to life at a game at a Melbourne United game at John Cain Arena this weekend. And I think it's that, that's the great thing about the digital world these days that um, everyone wants to be first to do things, but yeah. there's always opportunities where you can pinch an idea and, and make it your own um, on the other side of the globe as well and, um, and really engaging with that fan at that time. So how did you find your time as a whole at Essendon? Yeah, it was great. I, um, you know, it's a long time ago now. You know, yeah. it's, it's 14 years ago when I started there. So a lot's changed. Um, you know, I, I left there before, you know, they went through a pretty difficult time, of course, a year or so later after I left. Um, but then, you know, probably the, the most brilliant thing I did was, you know, the opportunity to go to the Bulldogs as their chief commercial officer, whereas they really wanted to own the western region of Victoria um, so that, that was a great opportunity to how do you own a region, how do you drive a commercial outcome, but at the same time really drive that fan engagement and, um, and really drive their digital engagement and, and make, fair, make players like Marcus Bond and Pelly household names, which when they were first drafted, you know, the, that was in 20, sort of 2013. Um, mm-hmm. They were only 18 years old, but, you, you know, you fast forward now and you think of Marcus Bond and Pelly and Bailey Smith and, Jackson McRae and all these star players, um, Aaron Norton, you know, they are not just um, household names in the west of Melbourne, they're actually national household names. And it's amazing what the power of a player and that engagement, the amplification they can help um, build a team's brand is really important as well. So how do you um, implement strategies to, and what strategies do you actually implement to try and uh, approach and get these um, household names that we now see, like Bailey Smith, Marcus Bottom, Pally, like you mentioned, as an 18-year-old? Yeah, I think, I mean, a lot of it in the AFL's luck with the draft, of course, and the type of player. But I think once they're in the system, you know, the important thing is understanding what are their drivers and what are their um, interests. There's no use trying to force something on a player that they're not interested in. But yeah, if, I think teams are so good around their, yeah. their, their, their marketing now that, Players actually see that they can actually learn a lot from um, their own building their own brand profiles by yeah. working with the digital and marketing teams within a club, and yeah. you know we've seen that firsthand at Melbourne United. Um, you know, with, with players like Callum Bagada, who's who's really working with our team on how do we help with his personal brand. And, um, but yeah, from a football point of view, it's such a big sport, of course, especially in Melbourne with you know the ten teams, including Geelong, down the down your way. 
um, it's um, you know it's it's a huge sport in in Melbourne. And now I'm seeing the flip side of how do we actually change the game a little and get more branding for for the NBL players and making them more household names in our great city of Melbourne. Um, with AFL being such a big sport. Just quickly on Caliber Guard, he's got his Caliber Guard basketball kind of thing, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So that's been stuff he's been working through with our club, and um, you know, Caleb's an incredible young man. Um, you know, really passionate um, about who he is, his background, um, but he also wants to know how he can tell stories more about who he is. And um, it's one of the great things about work, working at Melbourne United is our multiculturalism, and you know, bringing in now just adds to that as well. Um, you know, we've celebrated our multicultural team game on the weekend and, you know, seeing the flags of all of our players hanging up at Hoop City at our, at our offices down in, in Cheltenham um, each and every day, it makes you very proud that we're a globalised game and we've got players from all over the globe and we should be celebrating that. And you can't beat what you can't see is a, is a big thing that's been talked a lot about across sport and for us, we want to um, make sure, with Melbourne being such a multicultural um, city, we want um, people of all cultures to see Melbourne United as their team. Throughout those sort of years at the Western Bulldogs from 2011 to 2021, obviously they had, they had a dramatic rise um, in terms of ranks on the ladder and obviously uh, from a commercial standpoint of view too, um, making these names like Marcus Bonapelli, like we mentioned before, actually household names and not just, uh, you know, a top 10 draft pick from, I think, I don't know what it was, 2015. So how do you, uh, in while the game's rising on field and the team's going so well, how do you as the chief commercial officer um, help bring, you know, the commercial side up with you, with the team and the club too? Yeah, no, it's a great point, Max. I think, um, you yeah, one of the one of the great things about being at the Bulldogs for that period of time was it was a, a 2011, you know, the Bulldogs made three preliminary finals in a row, 28, 2008, 2009, 2010. I came in February 2011 um, thinking, great, we're probably going to win a premiership. In yeah, year. first year. Um, and unfortunately, things didn't pan out that way and the team finished 10th. Um, and then it was decided and a great idea, idea from the club. Um, Brendan McCartney came in as the new coach and the decision was that let's go to the draft and really draft. Um, a number of players into the club. We're going to have top um, draft picks to really build from the, the bottom up. But we also have this great core of older players in Bob Murphy and um, Matthew Boyd. Um, so we had this great mix, Dale Morris, this really amazing mix of older, experienced players, but this incredible youth coming through. And um, we knew it was going to be a tough slog, but we had to sell that narrative to, to not just our fans but also equally to our, partner, our major sponsors as well that you know hang in there with us we're on the way back and um but we importantly as well we had to make sure we will come out with uh new revenue ideas and you know one of the greatest things i've been part of in my work life we, we were lucky enough we went to the uk to play in a game against port adelaide um at the end of 2012 um and part of that we got to meet with some premier league teams um manchester city was one but um, one of the biggest things we got to do was we went to Liverpool Football Club who had done a men's health program that Peter Gordon, our president at the time, mentioned he had heard of. And I had some contacts there. We set up a great meeting. Um, and then a year's later, about 18 months later, we set up the Sons of the West Men's Health Program, which not only um, came up because we were the community club of the AFL, not only did it give us an opportunity to 
engage with the West and make it a healthier place for men in that region who, um, you know, we, we'd known there was a lot of health problems in the West. Um, it also brought in close to a million dollars in new revenue for us as well. Um, so it's important to make sure that when things on field aren't going as well as you'd like, there are other opportunities that you can explore to bring in new revenues and, and make yourself uh, seen in a different light. And, you know, that community, of the, uh, the community club of the AFL Mantra really shone through with a program like that. And um, in, in 2014, there was an age article at the time and we were called irrelevant by that age. We were the, on the, on the, there was called the relevancy ladder and we said, hold up. And I remember that rumour that stuck with me. Uh-huh. That hurt. Thinking, <laughs> we're not going so well. And then three months later, our, unfortunately, our coach was let go and Ryan Griffin, our captain, walked out. Um, and it was like, wow, we've just been caught irrelevant. We've now lost our two biggest leaders. Where are we going? And, um, you know, then a shining light in Luke Beveridge walked in the door as our new coach. And Tom Boyd was came across in the trade period. And, you know, the next year we went from, pretty much last to making the finals and losing in, you know, a scintillating final we lost to Adelaide at the MCG and, you know, and then 12 months later we were back there, um, you know, winning a flag after 62 long years and just seeing all those, you know, the old fans' faces post-game with lots of tears and stuff. It was, uh, you know, a, a moment in time, like I said before, um, just to be part of something like that I'll never forget and, you know, it was a, an amazing journey to be part of. What was that premiership experience with the dogs like for you? Yeah, it was it was a surreal four weeks. You know, we finished seventh in that year. We had to go over and play West Coast Eagles. Everyone expected that we would go out in that first round. Yeah. Uh, we we beat the West Coast Eagles in an enormous upset. Flew back and everyone said, Great, dogs won a game, but they've got to play yeah. three time premierships um, stars at the MCG on a Friday night. Eighty eight thousand people arrived. Bulldogs won a, you know, came from five goals down to win that game. Um, there was then the start of belief started to happen. Um, every all the houses around the west were painted red, white, and blue, um, which was really cool. And you know, we went up to GWS against this new team that there was a huge rivalry already between the two teams, um, and played in probably the greatest ever final in the last. You know, I think it was rated number two in the last fifty years. You know, to play GWS on their home deck, but there was 70% Bulldogs fans there, um, so it felt like a Bulldogs home game. And, um, you know, to win that game, to go into a grand final for the first time since 1961, it was like, wow, what a great moment for the club. They'd lost the seven previous preliminary finals. So to even make a grand final was huge. And uh, and then to be part of that week, you know, having 10,000 people at uh, uh, the VU Whitnoble for the, you know, that went, you know, Tuesday and Thursday training and, then a hundred thousand at the um, at the parade on the Friday, and um, and then to have you know it was ninety nine thousand nine hundred eighty one at the grand final. Um, yeah, that was a yeah a day we'll never forget, and um, yeah, it was a, a great moment to be part mm-hmm. of. And really, as I said, really proud that I was lucky enough to be part of that uh, that decade of the dogs. So, what was that um, day like for you, the grand final day, and um, what do you, what do you, what's your role and sort of yeah. part in the day? Yeah, it was um, we had a, I had to go to the AFL function, um, so I was pretty lucky to be part of that. Um, my wife and two kids um, were coming in, sitting in the stands. We're all about players and staff, or who, our players who weren't playing, and all the staff, and 
and some of our well-known fans like Shane DeLea and Will Anderson, um, you know, some of our celebrity fans um, sat with us. Um, and I got to sit with them all, of course, during the game and I'd sort of run between the function and, and, and sitting um, and just remember, yeah, that, that feeling of being with my family who have been, you know, who have ridden all the bumps with me as well. Um, but to share a moment like that with that on the siren was uh, was was quite amazing, and, and to look around, everyone was celebrating. And, um, I did get the lucky um, job; I had to take Chris Hemsworth and Liam Hemsworth and their families down to the down to the change rooms. Um, yeah. After the game. So um, we made our way down to the change rooms, and um, yeah, had an incredible, surreal hour. And then just looking around at everyone celebrating the team. Um, you know, just seeing all the hard work that had paid off for everyone on field, but also off field, there was a yeah a great celebration. And then going to our function that night with a thousand Bulldogs people um, and celebrating late into the night. And um, but then the next day we had to all be back at the Witten Oval about seven thirty to set up, <laughs> yeah, which was a big yeah. day. We set up yeah. the, uh, the family day. We had thirty thousand fans at Vegan Witten Oval, which was extraordinary looking out across there and yeah there was not a blade of grass it was just full of red white and blue yeah. fans um but then we had we had about six hours after that at a pub with the players just all reminiscing about what had just happened and um and yeah, no, pretty special times but um things go pretty quick and you know that's six years ago already so um you know it's it's good to fast track to where i am today what was it like for you when you know you've you hold that premiership trophy and you can say you're a part of history in yeah. a 60-year drought. Yeah, it was pretty amazing. Um, I actually, one of the great things the club did was um, in the months after, each person got to have the Premiership Cup for a night at their house. Um, so you can invite all your families and friends or Bulldogs fans to your house to sort of make them feel part of it as well. Um, and got a brilliant photo of my son fast asleep with the trophy next to him. Fast asleep. <laughs> he was... Uh, he was only probably uh, 10 or 11 at the time. Um, so that was pretty cool. And, yeah, it's a great photo of him fast asleep holding the, the trophy for that uh, Premiership Cup. And, um, yeah, as I said, it's a, it's a great thing to look back on. And, um, you know, especially with their only being the first Premiership in 62 years, it's, it shows they're not easy to win. And, um, you know, I'm really proud to look back at how the club's now looking on field. They're, they look like they're a big chance, hopefully, to win it this year. Now, how, what does the premiership mean for the club commercially and in terms of producing revenue and profit and things like that? Yeah, it's a, yeah I mean, that, that's just an extraordinary outcome um, for the club. To see where it was, being quite irrelevant to, to them winning the premiership and, um, you know, most of the revenues um, were close to double in a lot of areas. So it's an incredible right. amount of change that it brings uh, to the club from a membership point of view. You know, the club went from sort of, you know, nearly 40,000 to 48,000 members. Um, you know, uh, from a brand point of view, we were able to, um, the year after, take our major partner, Mission Foods, um, up to up to a high level, but we were able to bring in Mercedes-Benz vans on the back of the jersey as well. So to be able to attract the calibre of brands like Mercedes-Benz vans, not something that we probably would have dreamt of three years before that. Um, so it was a real game-changer for the club. It, uh, it put the club on the map. Um, we went from having no Friday night games, which which there's a million viewers who are watching Friday night AFL game. There were three or four years where we might have got once or twice on, on, on Channel 7 on a Friday night. 
we were getting six to eight Friday night games. So yeah. all of a sudden you can yeah. see you're seen by a national audience. Um, yeah. For your players becoming household names. So the kids that you want to engage mm. with, wearing number fours or pretending they're Marcus Bonapelli running yeah. around, all of a sudden you've um, it, it's a huge game changer and it's a life changing experience for the club. Um, they're about to start a fifty to eighty million dollar redevelopment of E with Nova, which will be one of the best sporting precincts in um, in the AFL. So all these different opportunities that it, that it brings to you um, are life changing, and um, but commercially it was um, you know it was a real game changer. So how does a club and a big name club now like the Western Bulldogs, or for that matter of fact Essendon, generate money outside of football? Yeah, I think they've got to keep looking at different areas. And, you know, the Bulldogs, one thing that worked really well was at the time we won the, the premiership, we also did a big deal with the city of Ballarat to play AFL games in Ballarat. And the great thing about that was the state government, um, we sponsored that um, that five-year agreement down there. So there was great new revenue generated out of that. But in the city of Ballarat, you know, there's three to 4,000 members now in Ballarat of the Bulldogs. Um the number, the number three or four postcode on the on the Bulldogs database is Ballarat. See, it's not just the sponsorship you bring in. Mars became the naming rights at Mars Stadium down at uh, down at Ballarat. Um, so we were able to then create like a another major sponsor in a whole new region, and not just driving sponsorship money, but driving um, new fans and memberships down in that area. Um, means that you can really start to look at different ways to to create new revenues for your club. So how did getting in contact with Melbourne United after their championship season and Vince Corelli, um, who's been the CEO there for a long period of time, won two championships with them, how did, how did you get in contact and um, get the opportunity to um, join Melbourne United? Yeah, it was, um, it was probably sort of, um, trying to think back now, sort of that May time last year. Yeah, the, the, the season was getting towards the playoff stage um, and uh, Wall Street, who are the HR um, partners of the NBL and, and Melbourne United, they, they reached out and asked if I would apply for the role, along with a, a host of other candidates. And um, I spoke to Amit Bain straight away, our CEO of the Western Bulldogs, my boss, um, and knowing that he had great support when he went for the Bulldogs role from his boss at, the, at St Kilda at the time. And um, we both agreed it was too good an opportunity to not have a have a go at. Um, I, you know, I was pretty passionate about where the game was going. I'd, I'd met a few people in the NBL at that stage. Um, I'd, I'd had a few chats with Vince just about the game and um, Jeremy Loliga as well and thought it was a great opportunity to uh, to put my hand up and um, and see where it went. And, um, yeah, it was, I was very lucky. Um, at the grand final itself, when you and I actually did the, the big duck to win the game at the end, um, at that stage, I didn't know if I was successful or not. Uh, with the role, and I just went there with my son, just as a Melbourne United fan member, watching from the stands. And um, the following Tuesday, I got the call from uh, from the club in Wall Street saying that I was uh, they would like to offer me the role. So um, yeah, it was a pretty exciting week for me as well. So when you joined Melbourne United, did you have to go through an interview process or anything like that? Yeah, there was about three interviews um, that I had to had to be part of um, over a fairly long period of time, um, included presentations. Um, so it was a, yeah, it was a, it was a pretty long process and uh, really professionally done. Uh, included also not just the HR group but also ownership group um, 
as part of that interviewing me. So, um, yeah, it was it was great to be part of it. We had to do it on Zoom, um, so yeah. that it's a little bit different. But um, yeah, there was a lot of work. I just went through presentation wise and um, and wanted to put my uh, best foot forward. And, um, and lucky enough for me, it was uh, I was able to be offered the role in the end. So, who was in that um, Zoom meeting and on that board of sort of? Selectors who you you know you were pitching and presenting. Yourself. I won't go. I won't go into names. But, <laughs> but yeah, it was about four or five owners across the board in different areas, and um, yeah. it was yeah, it was pretty exciting for me to be to be part of that. And um, yeah, it was uh, yeah. And, and looking back now, it's seven months already since I started, and it's it's gone fast. And um, yeah, it's been a, a whirlwind time, but a really exciting time. So when you get the phone call and. Um, whoever it was who was telling you, you're now yep. the new CEO of Melbourne United. What emotions are going through your body? Yeah, pretty amazing. I, um, of course, had had been at the Bulldogs for 10 years. I'd just been made a life member of the club, so I was really proud of um, being part of the Bulldogs in such an amazing era. Um, and 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 then just sitting back and it was, yeah, it's a huge life change, um, but it was, yeah, it felt, you know, straight away very exciting. Um, I was really keen to get my, you know, get into it and, and learn as much as I could. So I spent that next few weeks after that, um, after I told the Bulldogs that that was the case and we made the announcement and Melbourne United made the announcement um, externally that that had been the change. I um, you know, I was quickly um, able to get my head around a few things and um, and, and made sure I think the, the thing I loved the most about the club, including catching up with Dean Vickerman, um, was around the fact that I was coming from a completely different code as much as I knew and loved basketball, you know, I didn't have all the understanding that uh, Vince, of course, had was someone who's had an incredible knowledge in, about the game of basketball. And, um, you know, I made it clear that um, I'm going to be here to listen and learn, especially over those first key hundred days and and really wanting to get immersed in the game and, and understand as much as I could and, um, and go from there. So what was that like um, going in that transition period for you? Um, going from a CEO, um, f- sorry, from a senior executive to a CEO. Yeah, I mean, it's a hu- it's a huge change, you know. But I think um, the best part about it was the ownership group have been incredible in their support. Uh, but my management team um, at Melbourne United, um, you know, they've, you know, with Mark Boyd, David Moore, Tom, who runs all of our uh, marketing and, and digital side. Everyone across the club have been absolutely incredible to work with, and have someone like Dean as our senior coach. Um, you know, it's they made me feel really welcome. Um, we made some big decisions early days, including moving to Hoop City from MSAC. And you know, one key ingredient ingredient that kept coming back was we want to have a place where we feel like home. Um, we all we're all under the one roof. We're all close together, and um, you know, Hoop City delivers that incredibly well with. Um, having our players downstairs, they've got their own locker room that we've built for them. Um, but then they just walk upstairs and we've got our coaching group and all of our staff all together. And having, um, you know, there's about 18 staff in Melbourne United outside of coaches and players. And you get to know everyone really well. And, um, you know, the all-in approach is probably one thing that I love the most about the club. You know, you bring on game day, we're playing at 3 p.m. on a Sunday this week. We'll all be in there at 9 a.m. this week. You know, getting everything set up and and then packed down after the game. It's a you know, it's an all in mentality and it's something that um, you know I've loved loving every second of it. Apart from the game of basketball, is there anything else you had to learn in that transition um, from a senior executive to a CEO um, in terms of commercially in basketball? Yeah, I think there's so many different um, differences in how the games run. 
Um, being a private ownership group is very different uh, versus yeah. an AFL club with a board who aren't financial investors in the club. Um, so that's why it was so important for me to learn and listen as much as I could. Um, I just wanted to take in as much information as I could and um, really listen around the table and empower other staff to make decisions, um, knowing that uh, I wanted them to develop as much as you know, I knew I had to develop myself. Um, so now you were coming in after that championship. How do you try and keep developing that championship environment? Yeah, I mean, it's coming in. It was such a high-performing environment as it was. And, you know, hats off to, you know, to Dean, uh, Mark Boyd and Chris Moore from our ownership group. They've done an amazing job with our roster going into this season. And I came in on the tail end of most of that. And, um, you know, to, the most important part was, you know, really continuing to build that culture. Um, having brought Delhi in, you know, we talked about the Boomers, um, you know, Rose Gold Medal, um, that moment in time. Yeah, that was an incredible um, coup for us to be able to bring Delhi into the team alongside our captain, Chris Goulding, of course. Um, but we've also got, you know, with Kayla Magada, a Nigerian Olympian, with Brad Newley and Dave Barlow, incredible Olympic experience. David Aquera's um, gone and played the Olympics. We've got Dion Prewster and Shaili who have done national team work with so much with New Zealand. Wherever you looked, there was so much great um, opportunity and, and experience on the court. But off court, we've got an incredible team who, um, you know, who we've been able to keep driving those standards and, and our culture on and off the court to make sure we're, we're in this position where we are now at 15 and 5 and, you know, really excited about the next eight weeks before uh, hopefully an exciting playoff series for us. So, Nick, how did you get turned tonight to be the number one ticket holder of Melbourne United? Yeah, that's been a huge, um, you know, I think for the club. Um, you know, one thing we talked a lot about when I started was the power of music and basketball and how well they work together. Um, and it was actually my, I'll, I'll, the kudos goes to my wife. Uh, we were watching the project one night and um, just when I'd started at Melbourne United and Tones was um, one of the special guests on, on the project and she talked really passionately about her love of basketball, having played basketball all her life growing up in Bayside and, and still playing um, locally and um she said, wow, wouldn't it be great if we got Tones and I on at Melbourne United? And uh, I said, oh, that's a great, yeah, unbelievable idea. Let's let's see if we can do it. And it took a fair period of time of finding the right person and, um, you know, through different people. Chris Bean, one of your good friends, of yeah. course, he helped me there. Um, we got onto the right person and uh, through Chris Moore and, 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 your, and your Chris, we were able to find the right person and speak to them. And uh, over a period of time, um, it just became a really nice opportunity that, um, Tones have never done a collaboration with anyone, um, let alone a basketball team. And, you know, we're really proud that to have Tones as our number one ticket holder. And, you know, for someone who she's just been phenomenal in what she does and who she stands for, she's perfectly aligned with us at the club. And, um, yeah, she's been a superstar. And to have her play at our Prem 6 game in front of 8,500 at John Kane Arena at half time, you know, again, it was bringing the power of basketball and music together. And, we look forward to doing more of that moving forward with her. So how do you find the difference between AFL and NBL um, in, you know, your positions? Yeah, it's a, it's a really, there's definitely some scale that the AFL have done. You know, they do a phenomenal job. They really try and own that 12-month-a-year calendar, um, which I'm finding frustrating now. I'm looking at the newspapers and seeing so much AFL um, within the papers. But I think the great thing is the, the, the great broadcasting deal um, the NBL have done, of course, um, early in the year uh, or, or mid last year, um, 
was was a, is a real game changer for the league. Having you know ESPN do what they do, the amount of shows that they do, the amount of games that they show, the ten peach ones a real game changer as well. Having that free to air element and owning Sunday basketball hoops, um, KO of course, and the amount of streaming that's done. Um, but it's all the other opportunities, like yourself being on SEN and, and doing yeah. all those opportunities. There's more people talking about the game. Um, and we've done a lot of work on influences as well, getting different people to games. And, you know, we've had a lot of AFL players who have come to our games. And, um, you know, Danny Minogue has come to our games as, um, you know, a, a big star growing up for us um, musically as well. And, there's all different types of people who want to feel like um, engaging with the game and, and, and driving that influence aside. You know, we've had a TikTok box where we've had influences on TikTok come to our games um, to spread, you know, um, content about our games. So we're thinking about all different elements of how we grow our fan base, how we can, how do we drive more people to our games. Um, but probably the most important, exciting uh, development is we're going to be able to get back out to the community and, um, you know, go to schools again and, go to community clubs and getting our players front and centre um, to really be those um, those stars that people aspire to want to be. And we want young kids now like yourself coming up and, and before you as, you know, you, the younger kids coming through schools to to talk about Delhi and, and CG and not as much about maybe the AFL players, but uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> starting to grow the game a little bit more there. But that's where the past plays have been great for us and, you know, we've got Chris Ancy and Darren Lucas and Andrew Parkinson coming in our Legends box this Sunday. And yeah. Those three have been phenomenal. And I did watch Darren's uh, podcast with you where he talked about wanting to feel part of a, um, a club again and, and feeling Yeah, because that- he, he was um, expressing how he didn't uh, – I asked him if he had watched much NBL and he said he hadn't um, – yeah. he doesn't want to watch any NBL because um, the Magic aren't – there he goes. I don't feel involved. He said, he, "There's no no sense of feeling." He goes, even though he, the Phoenix have come back, they're technically, um, you know, the Magic. He goes, they haven't really included us in it anything, which is why I think this past players program that you guys have initiated, um, pretty much as soon as you came into the club, was just a fantastic um, idea. Yeah, I think um, we wanted to be uh, access to all basketball Victorians, past players, not just. We've got that connection, of course, with the Tigers and, and um, Magic. Yeah, that's been the exciting. Adam Bollinger too, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Adam Darcy's one of our staff members. We've got D Mac as you know, development coach as well. Yeah. Um, so we're we're looking at pathways, not just having like the Legends box, but what are those opportunities like with our um, academies? But we're also looking at diversity side, and you know, um, we'd love to have Jenna O'Hayat um, to be at one of our games in our Legends box as well. You know, she's been such a phenomenal basketballer. Uh, for Australia and for all of her WNBL teams. Um, so we, we want to be seen as an inclusive club but celebrating basketball and, you know, our purpose very much that we're, we po- we're focusing on is very much around the, the power of basketball um, and that's on and off the court. And we think if we're using the power of basketball to make a difference, uh, you know, in the, in the uh, community, we can really help those enrich mm. so many mm. kids um, and really inspire young boys and girls who want to play basketball moving forward as well. We've got Darren Lucas actually coming on the sh- uh, podcast again soon. Um, I, I assume you've seen his um, dance moves that were broadcast yeah. all over every social media channel and things like that. What was that like for you? No, it was good fun. I uh, I, did, I was at one stage when I saw, I don't think Darren realised that the video was on him 
Yeah. <laughs> the very cool music came on and, um, but, yeah, it made me really happy just seeing him happy, really, being in the football and enjoying it with his friends. Um, and I think, as I said, we had Leonard Copeland there last weekend. Yeah. Um, you know, it's been just, a, you know, even Ray Gordon and Andrew Parkinson, who didn't like each other when they played. No, they're best mates now. Best mates. And, um, yeah, again, just that I'm learning so much off them as well. And that's part of my education is is getting to know those players as well. And without them, and that's a big reason for me, is without all of those past players, I wouldn't be sitting here talking to you today. So uh, that's a big driver for me. And, um, you know, I want to keep driving that as much as we can as a club. What's it like to have David Anderson, an NBL legend, an Australian Boomers legend around the club? Yeah, no, he's been good, um, David. And, you know, his role at the NBL um, is great too because he'll be fantastic in driving that connection with players all across every state. Um, but, um, you know, he's being a championship player for the club, of course, um, you know, it's always good seeing him courtside as well. Um, and as I said, I think it makes the other players walk tall. And, you know, having Mark Bradkey come to a lot of games now as well. And, um, you know, wherever we look, there's just this really good connection and realising how good of friends they all are. Um, Andrew Gaze has been great in his support. Hasn't uh, he's so busy, of course, with his radio on SEN, <laughs> but he's uh, and with his commentary, he doesn't probably get mm. to the game. Um, you know, Corey's been great as well. We've had Corey games, and um, yeah, as I said, there's, a, there's this real great feeling around the place that basketball is a game of prize. And um, when you see it live, as you see a lot of the games live, you know, it's a fantastic spectacle, not just for families, but. Corporately, it's um, you know, it's an, all, an incredible corporate experience being up close and personal. Um, you actually really do feel you're part of the game when you're at a game too. So I want to have a quick chat about the voice of Melbourne, Wayne Peterson. Shout out to Wayne. Yeah. Um, he, he's a massive and huge part of the club's culture, um, both on and off the court. Uh, what's he been like um, for you commercially and also, you know, for the team on court in your period of time at United? Yeah, one of the first people I called when I started, you know, Mark Boyd gave me Wayne's um, mobile number and I wanted to ring him and just tell him how much I've, I've, I was lucky enough to hear Wayne's voice a lot at uh, Bulldogs games at Marvel Stadium because he's the yeah. voice of Marvel. Um, so um, and <laughs> his incredible legacy with the NBL and, and with the Melbourne Tigers then into Melbourne United. So, you know, there are really critical people who have that legacy in the game and, it was important for me to make sure I spoke to people like Wayne, um, but we've got a really good bond and, uh, you know, I look forward to seeing him pre-game each day and we have a good chat about what's happening at the game and, you know, he's interviewing up in our, our rooms as well with our chairman's functions or our members' functions post-game or our Melbourne lounge area. You know, he's great and, uh, you know, it's always great to hear his voice in every, every single Melbourne United game. So can you talk me through your involvement in player signings? Yeah, I mean, that will start to evolve more and more now. And I think, um, you know, it was a huge part of Vince's role with Dean. Um, you know, I think that was one of the things coming in. I've come with a really strong commercial background um, and people management side and um, had had got good learnings of how the AFL system worked when it comes to player signings. But a big part of my role was to come in and listen and learn a lot. And Chris Moore from our ownership group, who I know you've spoken to as well, he did, a, as I said earlier, did a great job with Mark Boyd and Dean in the off-season with all of our signings and just being part of the, the opportunities of um, working through with um, Udai signing was, was fantastic and 
Um, and also we've got some, you know, some other um, discussions underway with other players as well. So it's, it's that time now where we'll start to move into that. Um, that's going to be a good learning curve for me over the, over the next few months. And, um, you know, I could be happy with the team I have around me who are, who are doing a brilliant job in that space. So how did you manage to get Matthew Dullivan over to become a part of the club on a three-year deal? Yeah, I mean, it was something that was done just prior to my start. My, my announcement was made and then Delhi was the next week. And, of course, that was the, a much uh, more applauded uh, decision than mine when I was at the time. And, um, you know, the, the club did a great job. There was um, Bruce Cater, who was Delhi's uh, manager, you know, worked really closely with the club on the fact that there was an opportunity that Delhi may look to want to come home. Um, so it was an incredible opportunity for not just for Melbourne United, but for the NBL to have, you know, one of the all-time Australian greats from the NBA come back and want to play in, a, in the prime of his career as well. Um, you know, at 31 years of age, um, Delhi's, you know, got that really strong uh, want to get to, to the Paris Olympic Games as well. And so, you know, the opportunity of being able to have a, uh, someone like Delhi who's going to bring in a wealth of experience, knowledge, um, but he's just been, yeah, an absolute dream to work with Delhi and, you know, We've all learned a lot from him as well, and he's really keen on the commercial side, asked lots of questions, and you know, hopefully there's some opportunities that we can work on brand stuff together as well. So how do you market the club on social media and um, making audio platforms um, to put a good name beside the club? Yeah, I think it's a huge part. I mean, we've really upweighted our um, staffing in that area, and you know, you know, I'm really excited about the team that we've got in that area. You know, Laura, who does all of our socials, um, you know, works around the clock and, um, you know, does an amazing job just in our engagement with our fans. And, you know, our numbers are really strong, you know, 70 to 80,000 on, on, on most of those platforms, especially Facebook and, and Instagram. And, you know, we've got huge fan bases of followers. It's how do you then turn them transactional? So that's the big challenge of how do you turn someone who's a fan of your club and turn them into a transactional way, whether that's buying a membership or a season ticket or a daily ticket or even just a jersey, and you know, how do you, how do you, it doesn't all have to be about them becoming seasonal ticket holders because for a family to buy a you know, 14-game package is, is quite an expensive exercise. Um, but it, there's all different elements and, you know, the big focus for all NBL clubs is understanding our fans better, what is the customer journey that we want them to go on and, and how do we make them feel proud each and every day that, uh, that they're a really genuine fan of, of our club. Um, so can you take me through the club's approach um, to signing and making a roster? Because obviously last season in 2021, you you guys only had one import this season. Um, again, so much depth, only having one import though with Caleb Garda. What's the club's approach to that kind of thing? Yeah, I think they've done an incredible job. The, the club, um, you know, with so many great Australian players, um, you know, I think that's a when you think about the boomers culture, you know, it's a fantastic culture that's built um, having players who know the league really well. And, and it's, it's all about building that culture and what is that chemistry mix that you want on court. And um, we're not we're not saying we don't want to bring an import in, um, you know, at, at, on any given year. But, you know, we've been lucky to see someone like Joel Achul come on as six man a year and have the phenomenal season he's had. Um but to bring in Ariel Hockbordy, you know, as a next star who's, you know, each week in, week out now is really starting to shine. Um, he's become a fan favourite as well. Like, it's trying to get that mix right. And, um, you know, the club hats off to the, the roster they put together before I came on board this year and, and, and in the championship year. And, 
you know, while you've got a really good thing going, you know, you want to keep that rolling and, um, you know, that's all part of the strategy that we have at the club. So with Ariel Huckporty, what's been your position and role in helping him develop um, on and off the court? Yeah, Ariel is, you know, he came in as a young 19-year-old, so I think people forget that he is young. He's seven foot, 19-year-old. Living away from home, it's a big challenge for a young man to leave his family um, back in Germany as well. And, you know, we've tried to make him feel part of the family. Um, and, and, you know, Caleb Agard has been incredible, like his big brother, really. You know, uh, they've got a really strong bond. Um, but, you know, people across the club have had Ariel over for dinner and making him feel welcome. Um, you know, I think, I think that's all part of it. But playing games has made a huge difference. And, you know, he, he, um, he thrives off the enthusiasm of the fans and he, he loves the opportunity of engaging with the fans. And, you know, Ariel, after every training, he'll come upstairs to the staff and he'll fist pump every single staff member um, after every training and, you know, he really feels that community spirit and that family feeling of, of belonging. And, um, you know, you can see where his game's going to a whole new level because he feels so great about being in the city of Melbourne. So I want to quickly touch on Joe Luala. We had him on episode 18. Yep. He was in his second year at Melbourne United. Then last year, um, he made a massive step in the progress in terms of his game. Um, there was a lot of speculation around whether he was going to come back to Melbourne United, whether they're going to, sign another big-time centre, um, Luala to leave. But there was a great move to sign JLA back. Um, so how have you watched his progress over um, this season, obviously the progress of last season too? Yeah, I mean, it's, been, it's been unbelievable, I think, um, to see, you know, the, the strong role that he played. And I think, you know, hats off to Jock Landale. You know, you can see how well Jock's going, of course, over the Spurs. But to have someone like Jock that... Um, that Joe could work under and develop his game. That's no doubt where you can see all that hard work in the off season um, to now be, you know, a, a big opportunity to be the MVP of the, of the league. Um, but, but on the flip side as well, it's been amazing that Joe has then learned what he's done from Jock. He's also helped Ariel develop. So, you know, we're really proud of, of Joe and his leadership that's gone to a whole new level. Um, he's done a lot of media too the last month or so, Joe. Um, you know, he's a very driven, you know, great family man. Um, but, you know, he is, um, you know, he's taken his game to a whole new level and great for our fans who just, you know, have loved watching Joe develop this year. And, you know, to have Joe and Ariel, we've played them both on the court at some stages too in the last few games. You know, it's exciting for us to see what could happen over the next period of time this season. And that's our big focus right now. It's, we're focusing on the next eight home and away games and then, Wherever we sit there from there, we'll, you know, we'll do our best to, to hopefully go back to back. Do you believe Joe will go to the NBA at the end of this season? Yeah, I mean, I think that's a big chance. I mean, we've, we've definitely been having some scouts come to training. Um, yeah, that's been exciting. I mean, the, the next stars with Ariel has definitely attracted scouts, but at the same time, that's great for players like Joe to be recognised. And, you know, I think they've seen incredible development from Joe from when he was playing college basketball as well. And, you know, I think... It, as a Melbourne United uh, point of view, we want our players to develop and we know that from time to time we might do such a great job hopefully developing them that they do get the opportunity to play in the NBA and we should wear that as a badge of honour and that also helps uh, you know, attract some of the best talent to want to come and play for Melbourne United as well. And um, you know, We'd love to have Joe here next year, but we also know that there, there could be a bigger opportunity for him over there. So this season, obviously, 
um, COVID-19 is a bit, um, sorry, not a less infectious. It's more infectious, but um, less um, in terms of kind of death rates and things like that. So how do you try and get bums back on seats and fans in the stadiums? Yeah, it's been a, it's been a challenge for everyone, isn't it, globally and, and especially here. Um, you know, things like the Tones and I game was great where we were trying to attract a new audience to come to games. We had 8,500 at John Cannon Arena. When you think there's 10,500 capacity, that was a good barometer and an example to show that people will come back. Um, we've got the challenge now with AFL and NRL starting. Um, you know, people want to, you know, can't go to all games that they would like to. So, um, you know, I think the new variants that keep sweeping through from a COVID make things a little tricky. You know, um, there's a lot of people, as you know, at your school are also going through that. My kids are at school and we're getting emails each day that there are kids in their year level getting COVID and having to stay at home. So, you know, it's a tricky little period, I think. Um, you know, we're, we're excited about the games coming up, how we can get more people into the stands and, you know, hopefully for playoff times we can have full houses back at John Cannon Arena and, uh, and see how we then plan in the next year to hopefully have a, a smoother run and have a full schedule and that's, that's definitely made it tricky too. Uh, Max not having a full schedule of games for people to buy into. We've had sometimes only a schedule for a week or two to try and sell games into. And um, now that we can put our whole schedule out, hopefully that's going to make a difference. Where do you see basketball Australia going in the next two to five years? Yeah, I think, you know, when you think about Dyson Daniels, you think about all these young, incredible young players with Josh Giddy. Um, hopefully Ben Simmons, you know, has a really successful time at Brooklyn, like, I can only see things growing and growing when you think about my son's 15 and all of his mates are obsessed by the NBA. They know every player and they follow the Australians closely and to think what Jock's doing and, and Paddy's doing. Um, but even locally, there's so much great NBL talent here emerging. I think, you know, when you look at Paris Olympics coming up and then you look even further to the Brisbane Olympics, there's going to be a huge spotlight on basketball in, the, in Australia and, uh, yeah, I'm super excited about where it's going. And, and for me, it's, you know, it's a privilege to be part of it. Like I mentioned before, a lot of young kids and teenagers um, are more so into the NBA over the NBL. How do you try and engage um, a younger fan base and audience? Um, I know at SEM, um, I've had chats with the executive team and yep. touchy on how we can po possibly engage a younger audience and obviously the next generation. How do you guys as a club and um, help the league to engage the next generation of NBL fans? Yeah, I think keep telling to tell tell stories and the NBL are, you know, doing a brilliant job of whenever Josh Giddy does a great thing over in the NBA, they can link it to the NBL. Um, there are now kids who hopefully are going to decide to play basketball when they get to that 14, 15-year-old age group because they can see that pathway that the NBL is now seen as that second-best league in the world behind the NBA. Um, so I think they're the great opportunities that kids are starting to you know, they, they, there's a lot more um, content around the basketball, um, but they know they can come and watch Ariel play for us. Who They might be then watching him play in the NBA, whether it's next year or the year after. Um, they know that there's a great opportunity for them to, to watch some of the, the best new NBA talent uh, wanting to come and play in the NBL, and that's only going to drive more interest in the game. So what about Dalla? You mentioned you had scouts attending training. What does that do for him? I mean, does he have aspirations? Um, and targets to get back to the NBA? Yeah, I mean, Delhi's definitely been on record saying he'd love to get back to the mm. NBA. Um, I think for all of our players, you know, Jack White, someone who will have aspirations to do that and play for the Boomers down the track. Um, you know, I think it gives every player a spring in their step when they know that there's some, uh, 
you know, some scouts there from some of the biggest teams in the world. Um, we had Austin from um, the Celtics there last weekend, and um, Dave from the Spurs a few weeks before that. So they're coming in now. They're allowed to come in, of course, with COVID restrictions. Um, so I think we'll see a huge wave of NBA scouts here over the, the coming weeks. And um, Mike Schmitz is here now for the rest of the week. You know, he does the NBA draft. He's one of the best-known draft guys um, in the world now from an NBA point of view. And um, we'll have him at our game this Sunday as well. So it's, yeah, it's really exciting the amount of people coming in to, uh, to see some of our players and not just the next stars. We're actually able to see some of the other players who, um, who have aspirations to get to the NBA. I was talking with Liam Santa Maria um, before the season and he was telling me how he walked, I think he walked into a bar or a pub one day um, to catch up with a couple of other of the NBA media guys and Brad Newley walked in and he was, he's, I think he's like 34, 35 now and he's still in just such great shape. What's it like to have um, someone like him at the club who's still in peak condition alongside Dave Barlow? Yeah, no, no, Max, uh, Max um, Newell's has done an incredible job. You know, he probably dropped eight to 10 kilos before coming down and Besides oh. that, if he wanted to continue to play, and he'll love you too for saying he's 34, 30 <laughs> more. Uh, uh, he's a couple of more years older now. His birthday was the other week, but um, he's been phenomenal again. As you know, as a dual Olympian, be able to come down his experience. Um, you know, he shot fifteen points on the weekend. Just to remind everyone that hey, there's still uh, lots left in his uh, in his body, and um, just his experience and and wits around the club. You know, he's a he's a very funny guy, Newells and um, he's a big Blues man, um, so there's a group of the guys going to the Bulldogs Blues game tomorrow at uh, Marvel Stadium, and Mills is pretty excited to, to see if his Blues can win again. And, of course, I want uh, the doggies to get over the line. But, yeah, no, Mills has been awesome. Um, what are your personal aspirations for your career, not only in basketball but in terms of sport and things like that in general? Yeah, I think, you know, I love being a, a sports administrator, um, you know, over 15 years in sport now, and I I definitely see that's where my career is going to be over the coming years and something that I'm really excited about continuing to grow. And my focus right now is actually just to learn as much about Melbourne United, um, our members, our fans, our corporate partners, um, our purpose, our our values, how we're developing our staff. Um, Hoping to be one of the teams chosen to play in the NBA preseason games in October, potentially. Um, Lots of clubs have put up their hand and want to do that, so... We'll wait and see what, what uh, works out there. But, um, you know, in the short term, I'd love us to, you know, I'd love to be part of a, an NBL team to win a championship. But um, there's so many great things that's happening in the league and getting out in the community and, and making a difference. Um, we've done an incredible job with the multicultural round and the Indigenous round the last month. And from an education point of view, we're learning so much about our culture and about our players and, um, it's all about doing it in an authentic way and, um, you know, we've got uh, strong visions of where we want to grow our brand and, um, you know, and, and become a real strong brand, not just in Melbourne, but, you know, Australia and globally with, you know, best practice when it comes to uh, on and off court opportunities. How important is your relationship um, <clears throat> with the head coaches and the players um, and the owners around the club in terms of uh, the success of the club? Yeah, no, it's, it's really, you know, it's vital just to have those relationships, but, but making sure you know your place and you're empowering, um, you know, the coaches to make decisions and um, the players, helping them off court um, with opportunities, whether it's business opportunities or understanding, um, you know, their wants and needs and how we're providing a safe environment for them to thrive um, is a real big focus. And the owners have been brilliant in all of that too. They, they, they're, uh, 
you know, really hands-on, um, love working with each and all of them. And uh, I've learned a lot off the ownership group and, you know, I'm looking forward to the journey ahead. Um, now, I want to have a quick chat about Chris Golding. Um, the la- last game, I think it was, uh, sorry, who did he just play? Um, can't remember. Anyway, um, he didn't play, it seemed to have as many minutes on court. Was there anything going on there? No, I think things were just working through. Him and Delhi had a bit of a, um, a little injury scare um, in the first few minutes of the game. And um, they both came back, of course, and, uh, and all good for Sunday's game. But they, um, I think that's the beauty of the team. No one scored over 15 points, but we scored over 100. Uh, that shows the depth of the team that not every week that Daly or Chris have to stand up. You know, we've had Shay Illy's just had an incredible last six weeks. Um, you know, Joe's been amazing. Ariel gets better every game. Caleb didn't play last week due to COVID. He comes back this week. I think that's the beauty of the team to have someone like Mills come on, shoot 15. Zach Triplett got some threes last week, shows some of the incredible um, talent that he has. David Aquera represented the Boomers not long ago as a development player for us. Um, everywhere you look, David Hickey's had some time. Uh, Dion Prusta played in the New Zealand national team. has come back for that, you know, chock full of confidence and um, played some incredible minutes for us last weekend when we really needed it. And, you know, you, you, you add Udai into that mix as well. You know, we're really excited about, uh, you know, the next eight weeks. What's it like to have Udai Baba come back to the club? Yeah, it's huge. Um, you know, as I said, I uh, was a fan and member watching from the stands and just seeing the passion that he brought, um, his skill level, uh, but you can see that the players and coaches absolutely love him. And, um, you know, I was on a Zoom with him last night and seeing the connection between him and Dean um, and just seeing Udai just saying how much he can't wait to get back here to play. You know, it gives you a lot of great confidence. And uh, just seeing the staff when we told them today that he was coming back, everyone just cheered and super excited and, you know, he's an on and off court fan favourite, um, club favourite, player favourite, defensive player of the year. So when we come to the you know to the playoff times to have the defensive player of the year from last year join our our roster, um, you know that's exciting for us, and you know can't wait for the for the next part. So to finish off, Nick, um, what's your best advice to anyone who wants to be a uh, CEO and uh, be successful like yourself? Yeah, I mean. Max, I'm so impressed with what you've done in the short period of time at, at your age. It's incredible. Um, I think you've got to follow your passions, which is exactly what you're doing each and every day. Um, you know, I think people, you know, you've got to follow what you want to do at school and, and not do things that other people think you should do. Um, school's only one part of your journey. When you get out of school, there's so many new avenues and roads that you can follow. Um, but definitely um, don't be afraid to, do networking like you do, for example. Uh, I remember at university I did two weeks of free uh, work experience at Cabaret Schweppes during uni and my yeah. mate said, what are you doing? Let's let's start. <laughs> yeah. Why are you doing that? You know, you're not getting paid or anything like that. But I said to myself that, you know, that was a great opportunity for two weeks and um, I said, you never know, I might get a job out of it. And of course, a year later, I did 10 years, started my 10 years at Cabaret Schweppes. So, yeah, always take opportunities when they come. Um and just be who you are, follow your passions and your dreams, and um, they can come true. Thanks, Nick, for coming on today and putting aside an hour and a half or so of your time to come on and have a chat. It's been an absolute honour to have you on. No, I look forward to seeing you, John Cannon Arena, soon, buddy. Yeah. <laughs> Thanks, Nick. Stay tuned, everyone, for some more Sporting Max at 11.16 SEN. This is Sporting Max with Max Becker on SEN.